Welcome to the show, Brain Health Unchaining Your Pain. And I am really delighted and super honoured to have my friend and colleague on the show, Barbara Gustafsson. Welcome to the show, Barbara. Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. And I know we're far apart, but I'm just imagining sitting with you having a cup of coffee, but it's a delight to be here. <laughs> uh, I'm really excited to talk to you about your journey on brain health and and also to sort of dive a little bit into your book, um, Permission to be Bold. But before before we do that, just what are you really passionate about in life right now? Right now, I'm really passionate about helping people recast or revision what their vision and purpose is. Because a, a lot of people have not given up, but have been discouraged because things haven't turned out like they've hoped it to be in the last couple of years. So I'm really excited when I sit down with them. Uh, and when someone sits down with me and helps me recreate that. And, yeah. and just to have a new starting point and realize nothing has been wasted. Like yeah. it may not have turned out like we want, but there, there is no waste. And there's so much more than we could ever imagine if we just open ourselves up to that. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's so important in today's world because people have, many people have lost their vision for the future because there's been such a radical shift. And I think it's so important that we give people that permission to dream, really, yes. Uh, yes. and to believe that they're capable. And I just for those people that don't know Barbara, she's founder of Discover Next Steps, which is a consulting and coaching company. And in her workshops, retreats and one-on-one -on -one coaching, she combines personal growth, leadership and brain-based techniques to help her clients get more clarity on their next bold steps. And she's also author of Permission to be Bold, which is a guide to loving yourself, living fully and leaving your mark in the world. And she's also program director for the Brain Health Licensed Trainer course at Amon University, which I think is where we That's connected. Where we, I believe so. I believe yeah. we actually were speakers at a, a Brain Health that's Summit. Right. That's yeah. Right. yeah, so that's where we connected. That was last year or the year before? Gosh, time's flown, My, isn't it? The timeline has just blended together. <laughs> I think it was last year. <laughs> I think it was. Um, and she also supports a community of brain health trainers like myself, that bring resiliency and wellness programs into their communities. So Barbara, in the context of brain health, what would you say, based on your life's journey, what is optimal brain health mean for you personally? Yes, great question. I haven't had that before. And, and I absolutely love it. Um, brain health has not been something I, I thought I would ever stumble on, uh, just because of my history with the brain. Uh, but optimal brain health for me is being able to fully tap into who I am and not just tap into that, but express it in a way that benefits others and helps them get connected to their passion and their gift and to be able to share that to others rather yeah. than keep it to ourselves. So whenever I grow, I think of the context of whenever I'm improving an area of my brain, whether it's in my thinking or learning relationships, um, uh, you know, just loving people and even in my mindset, 
I want to do it in a way that helps other people that it doesn't just stop with me. Mm. I, I really love that, actually, because you kind of tapped on the four quadrants of well-being that I talk about with my clients, which is looking at your emotional, your physical, your mental and your spiritual well-being and, and making sure that you really dial all of those in, not just for yourself internally, um, but by doing the internal work, you're really able to support people externally um, by showing up as your authentic self with tapping into your superpower um, that is your brain and and your mind and making sure you leverage it to to best effect but I know it's not always been like that (laughs) so could could you tell me I'd love to dive into your story Um, when was the uh, could you take us back in time when you first struggled with fear and really uh, like you felt you were chained uh in in terms of inside your mind or chained physically and I know there's some some um stories that you mentioned in your book around being shut away yes and and so if I were to take myself um back to the future and and that DeLorean (laughs) I remember being a very uh, withdrawn child. Like there was a part of me that freely expressed, but there around at the age of four, I started to really withdraw. And most of my fear centered around my family dynamics. Uh I had a parent and and a sibling. At the time I couldn't articulate it, but something was really off. And I knew at an early age that whenever I played, I had to be really quiet. I couldn't make a lot of noise and these two people were extremely triggered. And if I got in their way, um, it it would not be a a good picture. So I Mm -hmm. learned at a young age to play quietly or outside just Mm -hmm. as a means to protect myself. And so I became very withdrawn. Some people, you know, they act out and explode behavior. I imploded and often Mm -hmm. I would become self-mute. I couldn't say a word in in moments of terror and fear. And so there was some early childhood trauma that went on that I couldn't articulate for years. And I think having that happen in those developmental years, it played out in kindergarten. Uh, In my book, in the first chapter, I wrote about how um, I I was the good little girl. Like I wanted to please my teachers. I did everything. I I wasn't a rule breaker. Um, Mm -hmm. I know there's no fun in that, but I like to stick to the rules. And one of the things I was always told is if you have a question, you raise your hand. Yeah. I remember having to use the the restroom like really bad (laughs) when you're in kindergarten. It's like when you go, you got to go. And so I started raising my hand and my teacher kept telling me to put your hand down. And I remember getting to that urgent point and thinking, oh, my goodness, I've got to go now. And so I put my hand down and she one last time yelled at me and I, you know, I I wet myself. I I just could not hold Mm -hmm. it. And I remember when she finally got to me and said, "Okay, Barbie, that's what they call me. You can ask your question. I, I said, I need to go to the restroom. And she dismissed me. And it was like walking I don't know if you've seen the movie, The Green Mile. Yeah. It was like walking the green mile. And I remember having this polyester brown pantsuit on 
And you could just see this dark stain and I could just feel the stares from my classmates the whole way. And I just remember feeling ashamed, humiliated. Yeah. I didn't want to be seen. I just wanted to hide and yeah. run away forever. And then in, in first grade, I remember I was fidgety. I was, I was like, there was nap time where all the kids took the nap. There's always that one kid that doesn't take a nap. That was me. <laughs> I would be fidgety. And I remember squirming in my seat and I got in trouble. And, and back then, um, and the way that teacher punished the kids, sometimes they, you know, got slapped with a ruler. Yeah, we, we had the cane. She put the students in a closet and it, it was a big closet, but it was for me, especially humiliated to be separated from the other kids. So I was sent to the closet. There was a light on, but I stayed there for a couple of the periods. And I just remember thinking, I don't fit in. I don't mm -hmm. belong. And again, I felt that shame and humiliation. And for me, I had these repetitive experiences in childhood where some children may have been resilient and, and bounced back from that. For But for me, it started this path of debilitating fear. I felt like everyone's, you know, laser beams on me. And so mm -hmm. I just started this habit of withdrawing and not letting my true self come out and thinking that as long as I stayed hidden and didn't, you know, create these ripples, I would be safe. And that was how I survived that. And honestly, at the time, it was what I need, I had to do. But as I became, you know, in middle school and high school, I wanted to explore the world. Those patterns still existed, but it really disrupted me from being able to be happy. Mm. And my anxiety just grew and my fear grew, even to the point of my senior um, year in high school, I was giving a speech and I literally, something took over me and I ran I ran away off the stage. Like I ran into a classroom, hid under a desk. Something just defaulted in me. Um, to panic, to run and hide. And again, the shame, humiliation, mm. just all that compounding over the years took over. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much for sharing. I can re really relate to some of your uh, experiences, particularly the, the wetting one, because I remember myself, going to brownies and not having the courage to actually uh, go when they offered the children to go and knowing that I needed to um, and having almost like a Niagara Falls experience of wetting oh. myself when they were all doing their final song and it was the most humiliating thing because they had to get like more newspapers than you can imagine um, out to clear it up and everybody seemed to find it really funny uh, certain some certainly some members of my family, uh, and for me it was just so embarrassing, um, and that that sort of issue <laughs> or fear, um, like very much like yourself, continues to today. The fear the fear of it happening again, even though I'm an adult, and actually the anxiety that you have from that initial experience brings the brings the whole thing back on for me personally. And I'm wow. sure it's the same, same for you in your circumstances. It triggered something it that did. you really don't, don't want, want to happen. 
It did. And I think it's one of those things I brushed off for so many years because I'm thinking there's other people in the world that have it so much harder than I do. I think that's definitely what I told myself. And while that's true, someone always does have it harder for you. I pushed stuff under the rug. Like there was so mm. much undealt with childhood trauma, you know, not just from those situations, but others. We don't need to bring it all up here today. Uh, but our bodies and, and brains have a way of remembering what we don't have, what we haven't dealt with. Yeah. And so later on in life, as I'm going, things have a way of just resurfacing. Yeah. And we have a choice, you know, to either push it under the rug again, or this time is an opportunity to really listen yeah. and see what, what needs to be released. Yeah. And, and thank you for sharing that because I think it's, you know, people really, can dismiss their own trauma because we we have this habit of comparing ourselves to others um and like you say some people have it much worse but trauma is trauma, trauma. You, you know it it's not really big t or little t it's it's whatever it is for you personally um and it can have huge effect on us um emotionally physically mentally and spiritually in the course of our life it's particularly like you said when you're when you're su at such a young age and your brain is so malleable uh, and developing at such a fast rate that we, you know, from a brain development perspective, if if we are constantly layered with, if I if I do this, I will survive, um, then those neural networks in our mind become stronger and stronger. Uh, and so we're more likely to default to the original response that we had the more we find events and we often may search for events that are similar to the initial experience because our brain is naturally defaulting to, okay, this is similar to that. So therefore I'll, I'll allocate uh, this current experience to have a response the same as I did in, in my past. And so it, and so it gets harder and harder to unchain our pain as we get older and older because uh, the networks got stronger. And so we, we really mustn't be dismissive of childhood experiences that we have, irrespective of what other people yes. have experienced, because it, it can affect us in profound ways. Absolutely. Yeah. So how did you, when, at what point in your life did you recognize that it, that something wasn't right and you weren't being that person that you knew you were truly capable of being? Yeah, so my life in general was okay. I'll, I'll just put that out there. Um, I had a very successful job. Um, I, I think at the point where I was 19, this was right out of my freshman year in college, I was in a horseback riding accident. Oh, wow. Uh, and I broke my back. I was never knocked unconscious but I had a head injury and it went mm -hmm. undetected for years. Wow. They never scanned me. They were more worried about my spinal cord. When I went back to co uh, college um, several months later, I wasn't the same. I had mm -hmm. ringing in my ears. I couldn't focus. I, I couldn't concentrate. And, and mm -hmm. I didn't understand why. I had a hard time articulating that to people and my relationships changed because I was very frustrating to be around. I, I just couldn't hold attention. I would get discouraged. I was depressed. 
Um, so I, I had dropped out of college. I couldn't wow. keep my grades up. And the cool thing was I found a wonderful job over the course of time. And it was one where I was in a set routine every day. It was some responsibility and very important work, but it wasn't too much responsibility. And I had an extremely supportive team and I was able to really set my own schedule. And a few years into that job, I wanted to go back to college. Like I, I really wanted to agree. It was something that I'd not never had really wanted at the time, but I was like, I want to learn. I want to really <laughs> put my brain to use. And so I, I re-enrolled in college and the same thing happened. Like I had to start withdrawing from classes because my, my grades would just take a deep dive. But I found if I pulled back and I took literally one class at a time, mm -hmm. even though it was hard, I could do it and I could hire a tutor. I could take my time. And I did that and it took over the course of 12 years, but I finally got my bachelor's wow. degree in business Yay. management. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. So you know how they say, you know, that piece of, it's just a piece of paper. For me, what that piece of paper represented was more than anything. Cause I used to tell myself I wasn't smart because I struggled yeah. in school. I had a couple learning disabilities and as a fallback, I decided to get my associate's degree because I didn't believe I could get that bachelor's degree. So associate's is like a two-year's degree. So I actually have a two-year degree and a four-year degree in business wow. management. Because when I got finally got to that midpoint, I'm like, yes, I can do this. Um, so I'm really, really proud of that piece of paper. And, and I, so... And so you should be. You know, so many people think that... Uh, their grades define what they're capable of at the next le level of education and and they don't is you you decide what you can do yes. and if there's a will there's a way there's a way if you want it bad enough <laughs> if you really want it then you and, and i think it's beautiful that you found a way that suited you to still get what you wanted Yes. You know, when you just had to adapt your your pathway to get there. And, uh, and that's it, OK. <laughs> that's OK. And this was while I was working full time, got married, had children. So there was a lot going in my life. Um, so I am proud of that. And and when I got my kids past school, um, I would say when my oldest was in high school, I was kind of at a point in my career at the time where I was just feeling stale, just kind of feeling myth yeah. about it. And I wanted to look at what other paths are out there. And I ended up going through a coaching leadership training through a wonderful um, group and got the certifications for that and ended up opening a coaching business. I'd never even thought about doing that, but, but I realized that some of my learning disabilities yeah. actually was my gift because uh, I, I had a gift of really tuning in and listening to people because I, instead of talking a lot, I would really listen. Like I could really feel the energy of the room, you know, the intuition was going on. So I decided to really see how I can incorporate this into training. I absolutely loved it. <laughs> but then <laughs> I, I wanted to start training and facilitating with leadership. And that's where, where I hit a brick wall with my fear. Oh. And 
in the personal development world, there's a lot of positivity and hope. And one of the things I was getting caught up in was this idea of jump and build your wings. Just jump and the parachute will appear. But dang it, every time I jumped, it was like a... <laughs> I was just flat. I'm like, where's my parachute? <laughs> and and the interesting thing was, instead of fear going away from doing it over, it actually got worse. Right. Okay. And so that's like someone's afraid of heights, and the more you do it, oh my gosh, often it was like, it okay, guys, this isn't working. You told me my fear would go away. Why is that getting stronger? <laughs> that was the point. I had to really pay attention to what's really going on inside, and that's when I started to adjust the mindset of uh -huh. what was happening. But I also found out just from connecting the dots with different specialist doctors and learning about my brain, my nervous system, I, I discovered that I had a very um, sensitive, um, overreactive nervous system. Like it was constantly on high, constantly. Mm -hmm. And when you're constantly on high, there's going to be less blood flow to your brain. Um, things are going to be triggering for you. I, I had panic attacks when I went to these trainings. So again, I wanted it bad enough. I wanted to do this. So I was really determined what was going on in 2017 was when I had my first spec imaging done and I could actually see for the first time what was happening in my brain. And I tell you, once I saw those pictures, my view of myself changed. And I was like, wow, wow this girl is doing pretty amazing with all that's going in her brain. And I guess yeah. you, were, you had a very active deep limbic system, did you? Or, oh my or goodness. Or basal yes. ganglia? And yeah, your, so and I have a, was probably like a gold diamond fire. pattern. Yeah, okay. Really cool diamond pattern that shows yeah. up when, when that part of the brain is lit up too much activity. Yeah. And showed some mild PTSD. Yeah. Um, ADD. I, I knew mm -hmm. that. I, I'm not a hyper person, but I have a very hyper mind. It, it doesn't slow down that much. Um, Erlen syndrome, auditory processing disorder. It was wow. such a relief to me, Dr. Ruth, that it wasn't something that I had imagined all the years, these years. Yeah. I wasn't trying to be a lazy student. Yeah, I love to learn, but it was just very hard for my brain to do that. Yeah. Um, so it gave me a lot of hope that there was lots of simple things. There were some big things I needed to do as far as you know, rehabilitating, but there's uh -huh. so many simple things that I could do to start yeah. calming my brain and my nervous system down. Yeah. And, and you know, having that combination of Erlen syndrome, which of, often gets missed by the traditional medicine, which is which is the pro visual processing inside your mind, it, it is not working quite as uh, as one expects it to. Yes. Um, but it's very easily resolved. It is right with the right lenses. It is, um, and hopefully that's what you've managed to do and uh, and rectify. That. And as you, as you say, there are very helpful techniques out there that can help calm our brain down. Absolutely, um, when, when we have that overactivity related to PTSD. And the important thing was identifying it, and it yeah. it just when I was able to really utilize those tools. I was able to read more easily. I didn't get so fatigued at the computer and that gave me energy to do the things I love to do. And that's facilitate and coach. Wow. Amazing. And, and obviously from the, 
you know, I'd love to go back to your brain injury. And you, you obviously took you 12 years to get to get uh, your bachelor's. Did you did you a, were you able to address the injury to your brain and, and increase the blood flow to your brain in the regions that were damaged or? Yes. Uh, so what was happening, um, the head injury that was never looked into, it actually mm -hmm. caused the bone around my brainstem to shift and turn. Okay and press on one side of my brainstem. So it was almost like a hose. You know how sometimes there's a yeah. hose and yeah. water doesn't <laughs> flow through. Yeah. And so for years, I just had this brain fog and never knew why. Mm. And now that I'm in my early 50s, things are shifting even more. It got to the point where the brain fog was just, I couldn't ignore it anymore. I couldn't, I couldn't even do my work the way I wanted to. Yeah. Um, and, and so that's about when I had my scan and it showed that there was a lack of blood displacement. Mm -hmm. Yes. And so that's when I went to another specialist, a special chiropractor who focuses mm -hmm. on C1, the atlas bone, which is, yeah. it surrounds the brainstem, you know, yeah. and the brainstem, that's the central grand central station of communication from your brain to your spine, to the rest of your body. Absolutely. And, and I have a lot of clients who, who have this problem from head injury actually. And it's often missed by traditional approaches, even, yes. even through a brain imaging, it can be missed if, if you go to somebody who doesn't know about it. it and, causes... and you can have a huge, huge range of effects from, like you say, brain fog to limb issues, um, limb disorders. I had issues. upper arm issues like chronic pain, and then I yeah. lost use of an arm. Uh, I had vertigo. Allergies yeah. went off the roof, digestive issues. Yeah. The so things I would never think about that would And it's be all to do with your that. cerebral spinal fluid flow oh yes. uh, between yeah. your brain and your and your brain uh, and, and your spine and, and the the connecting that, that happens between between them is so vitally important. Even migraines, yes. um, can, the root cause of that can be uh, head, head injury. Absolutely. So I was grateful is an understatement that I had these key people come into my path just wow. because it, it's just allowed me to really focus on getting that blood flow back, which is a priority for me. Mm -hmm. Then I can start addressing some of these other areas, mm -hmm. um, whether it's neurofeedback training or if it's a supplement support or even a, a strategy that I can mm -hmm. use. And is that what got you into uh, becoming a, a brain health uh, into the brain health aspect from a uni Amen University perspective, or how did your journey yes. evolve from there? Wow, I I love this story, and it's something that again <laughs> I would never expected myself. Uh, our, in my family, we do have a brain uh, disorder that runs. Uh, it, it's a rare disorder called Huntington's disease, and uh -huh. the easiest way to explain it is it comes out through a form of dementia, Alzheimer's, um, ALS and Parkinson's. So it's like having all three at the same time. And, yeah. and both one of my parents and, and my only sibling, um, recently she passed away. She had this, she had oh, a more so severe sorry. form of it and seeing at a young age, how this impacted their success. Again, I, we didn't know what it was, but it, and it, it affected their ability to have relationships, to wow. have good thoughts to have sound judgment and um yet at 
them at their core. They were amazing people. They just weren't able to express that. Mm -hmm. And when you think about the brain is the hardware of this, you know, of a soul, of our relationships, it's how we express. And when that's healthy, we're able to have that, that healthiness in our lives. So for them and to see what they went through helped me realize that, you know, leadership and the brain go hand in hand. You know, I, I've known people in my life, high leadership levels who have been impacted by brain health and it also disrupted their organization. And, and, and so for me, having that as one of my, um, it's part of my business model. Mm. It just became something that I became dedicated to. And, and so back when I had my scan and I, made sure that I, I went, followed the protocol, I ended up meeting Dr. Amen and brought him, um, introduced him to a community of leaders and they headed off. And in, just in conversation, he's like, I want to bring this into the workplace. I wanted to bring it to leadership, HR, you know, what can we do? So we, yeah. he took his content and we talked about how we can make this less clinical and help give people a tool that they can educate others to help them with their brain health, their mental health, and in the workplace. And, and so I think of it as a backdoor way for people to talk about mental health, because it's still mm -hmm. very hard and a heavy topic. A lot of people won't talk about it still. Even yeah, I actually it. even saw on LinkedIn today, a psychiatrist within the UK was mocked by another fellow psychiatrist for speaking up about their mental health. So it's a, it's a real issue, even within the profession that actually, you know, is there to help people. Yes. Uh, if you can't have an open conversation within a profession that is there to help people, we have a huge issue. We uh, do. You know. And, and there's great opportunity. And with the, we have about 1,100 brain health trainers currently mm -hmm. that have been license to go in and, and teach Dr. Amen's content uh, to where people gather, whether it's the gathering of the workplace churches. Uh, I know some people are working with veterans and schools, but it's just yeah. really wonderful to see how they're taking his content mm. and creating change. Yeah. And I, do you know, I think it's so fundamentally important. I love the fact that, you know, leadership and, and brain health go hand in hand because as, as Dr. Amon said, our brains run everything. They run the world. You know, we've seen the devastating impact of people whose whose brain health isn't perhaps optimal, um, and how decision making can affect things. But I think it's such an important top, you know topic for organisations to make sure that uh, the people that they're serving. Um, and themselves personally, they really focus on getting the best out of the brains of their people and getting the best out of their own brain. And like you say, it's so very easy for organisations to make really bad decisions as a consequence of not optimising their unique brain. Absolutely. And Often, I think when people think of brain, it's very complicated and it is, it's the most, they say it's the most complex thing in the universe. It is, but it really likes simplicity. It loves mm -hmm. simplicity. 
you know, and there are areas where we haven't even tapped in that we can use for our benefit. Mm. And I know for me personally, being a small business owner, the way I look at my brain is, you know, this part of my brain is like my business partner and we're either working really well together or it's getting me off track. And one of the things that uh, Dr. Amen, and I've been so grateful to be able to, you know, partner with him is he said, give your brain a name, you know, give your brain a name and, and just start talking. And so my, my brain's name is Lucy from <laughs> Lucy and Ethel. Um, she's funny, she's quirky, she's silly, but she can also throw a tantrum. Um, sometimes she wants to get her own way. She's very distracted, you know, very distracted. <laughs> so, but just doing that helps me realize I can, I can be in the driver's seat still with this going on. I, I can take the reins of whatever, I can put Lucy aside, put her in time out, and I can have good, healthy strategies. And um, for my business, recognizing not just that I have ADD, um, but what type of ADD, because there's been seven different subtypes that Absolutely. Amy Lenick has identified and realizing I have a combination Mm-hmm. that it's treated differently. And, and I don't do well with medications. I never have. Mm-hmm. And so I have to really look at other ways. Um, so knowing my brain type and my ADD type has been highly, highly beneficial in knowing how I can target and tame those areas without, mm-hmm. without putting a lid on my creativity. Cause that's something that I never want to do is to put myself or anybody else in a box. We tend to yeah. do that. Um, and it's kind of how we create meaning out of a situation. We like to categorize and make sense of it. So it has its place. Um, but knowing when we're actually stifling our growth is very important. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I really, I love the fact that you focused on never putting yourself in a box because it's such an important thing that we don't stifle ourselves from a labeling perspective of, of the gifts that we're given, because it's so easy for traditional medicine to, to label us and put us, put us in a box and say, you're not enough. Yes. <laughs> or, or like you had the experience of being put in, put in a cupboard and, and feeling that you are not enough. Um, it's so important to break free from that um, and, and find the path that's right for us. And I'd love to explore uh, in that context, how were you able to break free from the fears that you had in your life and and also the internal talk that you, maybe wow. Lucy was having? <laughs> I, I love your questions, by the way. Um, yeah, so breaking free, because as you're talking about not enough because i was just recalling things i used to tell myself you're not smart enough you know you're not strong enough you know you're not confident enough you're not enough this enough that and um being typically uh my personality is gears more towards the classic introvert side so i I tend to be very reflective um and our society for whatever reason tends to limit that or not think it's a superpower. I I think it's my superpower now, but I had to work through and recognizing that is actually a strength and I can own it and claim it and be really, really proud of it because that's something that 
any relationship can benefit from. If we're all out, you know, and outgoing and stuff, that's great. But if we're all the same, what's the point, you know, and to be able to really embrace our differences, that took me a while. And, and sometimes it still comes up for me, but I think what helped me the most was really understanding, like, it's amazing that we don't have the same fingerprint. Like, there's no two people alike that has that. Not even but, identical twins completely. Yes. <laughs> but what's even more amazing to me is there's no two brains alike. Like, out of all the thousands of scans that they've yeah. done, they've never found two brains that are alike. That was mind blowing. Um, mm -hmm. First of all, they had a hard time finding what a normal brain was. And I know, yeah. <laughs> they they found out there's really no normal brain, but yeah. what they did find was there is a balanced brain. There's five main brain types. There's a balanced brain, and and typically that's generally you know you're generally very happy, you're even, you're flexible, you have that cognitive flexibility, um, and and then there's these other brain types. So realizing I'm still uniquely me, even when I fall under one of these categories, that was really empowering because that meant I didn't have to compare myself to anyone. I still do yeah. sometimes automatically, but I don't have to yeah. because people love unique. They love different, but for yeah. some reason we send out this mixed signal that we still have to fit in. Yeah. Do you so know, I, I think that's beautiful because so so often we think that we do have to fit in um and actually it's really great to stand out and we all stand out in our own uniqueness from a brain perspective because every single like brain like you say is unique but what i really find really powerful about our brains is they are unique and we have the power to change them so even though we may have overactivity in our brain we have the power to calm our brains down. So we may start with a brain image like you did that was very active in some regions of your brain in the in the in the deep limbic system and the basal ganglia and the uh, and serious singlet gyrus to create that oh, yeah. diamond pattern, but also having underactivity, you know, in your prefrontal cortex, which you know may be because of your head trauma, you know, compounded by your head trauma, but, but you actually have the power to change it. So you also have the power to change how you choose to show up in the world. Yes. And, and that's your choice. It is uh, our choice. And then and it's incredibly just, powerful. It, it's powerful. It's freeing. And just the thought, um, change starts with me change starts with me. You know, we, we tend to think everything else needs to change outside of us, but it really starts with us and we can choose that. Yeah. 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 I'd love to do a deep dive now into just a, a quick switch arcs now and do some fun facts questions. Okay. To I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> so we look at the five pillars of brain health here and it's a uh, Facts stands for feelings, actions, connections, thoughts, and surroundings, which are the five pillars I like to talk about in the context of our brain health. So let's dive into the first one, which is the feelings, which you kind of had to uh, put to one side and, and be quiet uh, when you were younger. But let's dive into something that is, what's the funniest thing that's ever happened to you? Oh, the funniest thing? Yeah. Oh my goodness. Okay. So it wasn't funny back then, but it's funny now. So I think that counts. Yes. So 
when I was 15 and I pumped gas for the first time, I was terrified. Like I had that, like you hear the fight, I had the freeze moment. So when I pulled up the handle. So when you, when you're filling your car, when with I fuel. picked it up before I put it in, I accidentally pulled the lever before I put it in and oh. a huge stream. There was a, this is really awful. Um, <laughs> and I ended up getting banned from the gas station. <laughs> there was a couple in the back of the pickup. I guess somebody else was getting gas. Um, this couple of a boy and girl, they were kissing and I literally doused them with gasoline. Oh my from, goodness. <laughs> I'm, it was one of those things. I'm so glad nobody was smoking and I didn't end up on the front paper, but I was banned from that gasoline. Oh no. Because I, I literally froze. Like my mom, she was with me. Thank goodness. She had to pry it out of my hand. So that's oh, probably. No. <laughs> and, and thank goodness everybody came off okay on that one. Cause yes, it could have been goodness. a lot worse. It could have been worse. Several yes. years before. <laughs> when people were smoking continuously. Um, so I'd love the next question, connection um, to yourself. What's the most important value that guides you in your life? Alignment. If we're oh. not aligned with everything, you know, it, it alignment is like this lead domino in our life. When we're clear on our values, our purpose, our vision, it can't help but affect every other area. And so once a month, I started this tradition with myself about eight years ago is I go on a self retreat to make sure that I stay aligned. And I do things in between then, but I have a process that I go through to keep that alignment going. It's a sacred space that is also a business retreat where some of my best ideas came from, but alignment wow. by far. Wow. And what what's so important for you? Because I think some people could who are listening can really relate to this, is this need to kind of check out from yeah. all the busyness and the hustle and bustle that's going mm -hmm. on. Uh, so you give yourself permission to check in with yourself. Absolutely. Um, so so what is what is it that's most yeah. important from a surroundings? Because we're so influenced by our surroundings to allow you that permission to to realign again. Or so when alignment. I when I think about um, for the years I had the head injury and didn't know it, I was out of alignment. Like my mm -hmm. neck was out of alignment. It affected my my brain, my my back, my body. Mm -hmm. But it also impacted my relationships, my work, my ability to be present, and I could function on many levels. But the, you know how when you just feel something is off and it, yeah. it, we could equate that to maybe a car, you know, your tires need to be in alignment. And if one is off, something is off. It, yeah. It's just a mess. So I see that on a physical level, but it also happens in our life. Things might be going well and appear to be fine, but something inside might just feel a little off. And that's where we can explore and pay attention to what's going on or have someone walk us through to find out what that offness is. Mm. And, and so I, I feel like that's something that we can often overlook because we're so busy and going forward that taking time to pause isn't a waste. In no. fact, it, it's essential. We mm. think it's a waste that we don't have time. Um, I look at it as a non-negotiable now. So I had to really mm. change my thinking because um, I'm, I'm one of those that tend 
to overwork and I love what I do, mm -hmm. but if I don't pause, it impacts every area. Yeah. Do you know, I love that. And I don't think anybody's talked about alignment on this show is that importance of, of recognizing when something is really off. And what I find, you know, people who really, uh, get into burnout, for example, who have, uh, who experience the burnout, don't listen to the, the, the fact that they don't pay attention to the fact that something is off and they don't listen to their intuition. They don't listen to the signals that the tires are low or that one of the tires is a little bit flat, as you say, Yes. or, or that their shoulders a bit, you know, sore and they're not maybe, is sleeping as well as they they ought to and they start dismissing it and dismissing it and, and before long you know they end up with their body screaming at them because it's breaking down uh and everything is hurting and everything's gone out of whack like you know you mentioned you had as a result of your head injury um but your body has to shout super loud yes. um, because your mind isn't listening so you're gonna love this I have on my sticky note and I'm pulling it off my board. It says, listen to the whisper. Don't wait for the two by four. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and it's so true is that we don't listen, do we? And, uh, and giving yourself that permission to pause. Yes. Allows yeah. us to do that. And it is almost, oh, you know, we, um, you can hear more the silence more if you open your mouth because you're actually opening up your cavities to increase your ability to listen intently. And you can't do that if you're running around because you don't have that time to pause. And That's listen. so, yeah. And, and just knowing that I can create these spaces for myself yeah, and for others to where you can tune out the noise, but you can, really tune into yourself because there's something trying to come out and emerge from us even mm. even if we're very successful there's more inside of us that's waiting to get out and yeah. often it gets hidden by chronic stress overworking and and one of the things that i didn't know was chronic stress like overworking that shows up in the brain as trauma that yeah. blew me away yeah i had no idea yeah. And, and it's so important that we do recognize it because it stacks, you know, stress stacks. Yes. And eventually our bucket is too full and it overflows. And we wear, we wear not only our brain out, but we wear our adrenal glands and everything else that's responsible for managing our stress response. Absolutely. So it's so important. Mm -hmm. So important. Okay. That next question. Yes. Surround oh, no, let me go to this one. Thoughts what's the what stupid or crazy thought oh. have you often told yourself in the past that isn't true what ants what's the biggest ant that you've had automatic negative thought rambled around in your head for a um while? oh my goodness okay the two that come to mind this is too hard this is too ah. hard that's that's a big one and of course your your brain's listening your brain's always listening and wants to support you so me by telling it's too hard, it brought me evidence of things that were too hard. So that was um, definitely one of them. And 
another one, it, it's interesting. I'm trying to think of an actual thought, but it, it's the belief of, it, it's more in the lines of imposter syndrome. Who am I to do this? Who like, am I to do yeah, this? Cause, cause I used to tell myself because of the brain challenges in my family or my own brain challenges, who am I to help people with brain health? Uh, that's the story that I told myself that was flawed. Yeah. And so, but I wasn't looking at the opportunity because yeah. of my story. I actually yeah. can share this to encourage others. So that was a big one for me to overcome. Wow. Wow. Who, who am I? And am do I? you know, I'm so, I, I think it's such an important one because we often doubt ourselves, don't we? Yes. But it kind of comes back to that. I'm and my not... remedy for that was just flip it. Who am I not to share this? Like I would be robbing someone of the opportunity yeah. of help if I didn't share that. I love that. I love that. And how did you over, how did you overcome those? How did you overcome the other uh, negative thought that you had? Wow. So it wasn't a, a switch. I will tell you that it's happened over time, but um, it was a process of really, first of all, identifying, becoming aware of that and having a desire to change. Like if you don't uh -huh. have that burning desire to change something in your life, it's probably not going to happen. Yeah. And, yeah. and so I had a burning desire, but I also had other people to help me. Um, really look at energetically how that was affecting me and using both parts of my brain to release different traumas. Um, EMDR was amazing for my brain. That really yeah. helped me. It allowed me to be able to work through the fear issue. So really not just focusing on the fear, but focusing on the thought that I wanted to replace it with. That was mm -hmm. huge for me in building that repetition because the brain, you mentioned earlier in the show about how our brain really latches on to something repetitively. It loves predictability and routine. It sees it as safe, even if mm. it's not good for you. It defaults to that. So building something new and repetitive and just consistently, that's the hardest part is being consistent. And over time, that new thought pattern will take root. Yeah. Do you know what's really important on that as well is is that having that desire, because we can learn new, we can build new habits much quicker than we think we can when we have the desire to do it. So one of the strongest desires is associated with fear, because <laughs> mm. if 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 you have to do it, because the consequences are you die if you don't, then wow. you learn that habit really quickly. Yes, because there's a strong emotional need to, to do it. And I love, you know, when I used to teach kayaking, we used to teach people how to do a low brace, which stopped them from capsizing. And our natural response, because we learn it from when we're children learning to walk, is we put our hand out to stop ourselves from falling over, which is brilliant on a hard surface and works really well, but doesn't work very well on a on a. Um, water surface because your hand just goes straight in the water and you go and capsize very quickly but when you have that desire to not go in the cold water you start to learn it very quickly and you can learn it in a week you know you can you can retune your automatic response um in your mind to 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 adapt and modify to the different environment uh, and respond differently so we have this huge ability 
this huge power in our mind, but we have to assign emotion to the new habit. And it has to be a really strong emotion that we assign to it, that desire to do it in order for that habit to really embed itself. Well, Dr. Ruth, I didn't know you like kayaking. We have another topic. (laughs) (laughs) One one of the things, um, and this will tie into the fear because being outdoors just is, for me, it's a way that I can unlock whatever's going on. If I'm grappling with a problem, getting outside and kayaking has done it for me. And so I, um, I hold these coaching and I call them coaching and kayak sessions. Oh, do you? Um, wow. I partner, I partner with a, <laughs> a group and we take women out on the water and they address their fears. And the really cool thing, because we did this as an experiment and most of these women are afraid of the water, like terrified. Yeah. And we take them into really calm and flat water. But what we realized about the second workshop in, and we've done this multiple times, is they've been able to turn their fear into fun. Yeah. Like this kayak, even the fear piece, when they get together with a group of women, it's a healthy distractor and it disrupts that fear signal. Yeah. And these women, some of them terrified of water, they were laughing in like 10, 15 minutes. And one of them was even doing a live Facebook on the water saying, look at me. And and she was in a near drowning experience when she was a teen. So I love what you're doing. Oh, <laughs> thank you. And, you, <clears throat> and excuse me, and you, you know, it's so important that we do tap into positive distractions to overcome our fears, which we, which obviously with EMDR, uh, we do eye movement. Uh, I know you talked about eye movement, desensitization and reprocessing, uh, which is EMDR, which is super helpful. But um, Havening is another one, which I do, Absolutely. Um, which is similar. Uh, but uses human touch rather than eye movement. Um, but one of the most powerful things to help people release the fear when we're doing it is distraction uh, so that they can calm their brain down uh, whilst they're applying their, their human touch um, and then help help them downregulate their brain. It's it's such an important thing to, to break to break those chains. Yes, uh, and, and the, the good news is, and you're sharing it, these things are super simple for people to use. Yeah. Like it, it's to have these at their fingertips. It's just very valuable. Mm-hmm. So what's next for you? Obviously you've, you've, you've come on, on, a, on an enormous journey uh, in, in the context of your brain health from a, from a, 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 a child that, you know, had an intense amount of fear as a result of your environmental experiences to now somebody who is helping people overcome their fear and being really the leader to, to show them the, the way and, and shine the light. What's next for you on your journey? What's next? I have a few what's next. Um, <laughs> one of them is to really expand um, my retreats. That's uh-huh. one thing I'm, I'm creating my first online course on how to create your own self retreat. And it sounds a little strange, I know, but it's been such a powerful experience for me and the people that I've taken through and um, my beta groups and to be able to track their results. Um, I really want people to be able to do this. And, and the idea is to take yourself to a destination, get out of your house, um, but create the space for you to go deep so that you come 
out with a quarterly game changer. We kind of scrap like what's what's your year look like or five year plan. Mm -hmm. We're going with a quarterly game changer mm -hmm. because that's more doable for our brains right now. Yeah. So I'm, I'm expanding that out and I'm looking forward to that. And I'm working on my very first TED talk. So I, wow, that's going to be a process. Um, hopefully this time next year, that'll happen. But I'm just opening myself up, facing my fears as I do it. But I'm, yeah. I'm really excited. Um, I feel like this is a calling for me and still being in a caregiving season with a parent. Um, I had this really cool conversation I have to share with you. Had it today over lunch. <laughs> This is meant for somebody listening. I don't know who, um, but we were, we were talking and we were sharing kind of like you and I were doing. And I was talking about uh, caregiving for a parent and they were taking care. And we were talking about the value of having a space just to let our guard down. And she said the phrase, it's okay to take our super cape off sometimes. You know, we talk about being a superhero for other people, saving the day, or helping out, jumping in, and yeah. putting your cape on. But we don't talk about taking your cape off, and it's okay to take your cape off. Um, and and I really needed to hear that. Like we were both talking about <clears throat> it, but the way that she put it was like, "Wow, it's okay to have that space." So I, I love doing that for people, just because sometimes we just need someone else to pour into us, yeah. or even just be still. Do you know, I think that's so important and, and thank you for sharing that story because we so often run around with this super cape on and, uh, and, and we never pause to be still and we never pause to, to listen and to breathe and yeah. to just feel. Yeah. Um, and I think that's such an important thing. What one piece of advice would you give anybody who is struggling with fears and, and they feel like, you know, they just constantly feel they're out of alignment with what they're truly capable of being because of past fears that, that keep bubbling up to the surface? What one piece of advice would you give to people who are struggling? So it's nothing earth shattering, but it really helped me when I was discovering this for myself was the fear isn't who you are. It's just something you're experiencing. Like there's chemical reactions going on in your body and it can overtake you. Like it can overtake your thoughts, your feelings. It is not who you are, period. And I think we tend to think, you know, this is our identity. This is what life is like. But just know that there are other things. There's so much more below the surface that's going on. And it could be that there's a bigger shift needed. Somebody needs to take you through, or it could be a tiny shift. Sometimes it's just one change, one outlook. Um, something that helped me was just to start the practice of, instead of seeing everything that could go wrong, what's something that could go right today? Yeah. And just keep looking for that throughout the day. Because um, sometimes when you're in the moment in that panic attack or just that yeah. overwhelm, doom feeling, it's really hard to do anything. Like there's mm. a very low energy capacity. Our brain reserve, which is our capacity to do things, has really emptied out. So what's something really small 
but that can create movement, you know, mm. it could be texting someone and saying, I need, I need some encouragement, or do you have five minutes? Mm. Can, I sh can you share a different perspective with me? Because right now I'm not seeing that. Um, so it's, it's being intentional and not undermining the little steps, because those are often the big steps that need to shift us. Yeah. Do you know, thank you for sharing that because that that I think that's just so important that we focus on those what can be a really little shift. And I love your the you know, the name of your company is Discover Next Step. Um, because it can be just a step. You know, that's it doesn't exactly. have to be a huge leap, it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be a jump. It 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 could just be one foot or one toe in front of the other. And that creates movement forward. Yes. And, and often, and, and I purposefully left the S off at the end, because often we're running ahead to the next steps. What's the next thing I can do? The most important step is the one that you're on, even in this place of fear and doom yeah. that you're feeling, because that is where a shift might happen. That's where you might connect with someone to change your view of, of your story. So don't overlook that the step that you're on and that step is actually going to be part of your story that you're going yeah. to give hope to someone one day yeah and, and thank you for sharing that gosh what's what profound wisdom that that you've given there barbara thank you so much barbara how can people get hold of you they can find me on linkedin that's probably the easiest way is find me on linkedin and my website discovernextstep.com Wow, thank you. Barbara, thank you so, so much for coming on the show and sharing your story. It's been, it's just been such a great chat. Always, <laughs> I've always loved it so much. Loads of fun with you. So thank you. <laughs> You're most welcome. Just remember, everyone, this show is all about brain health and unchaining your pain. You are not stuck with the brain you have. You have the power to make phenomenal changes. And we're here to show you how. By Winject Studios, we are an all-in-one educational platform for podcasters that revolutionizes how hosts leverage content to increase engagement with listeners, downloads, and income. We come together to focus on community, collaboration, and collective impact. For more information on how you can interact directly with our hosts, access exclusive live content with offers you can't get anywhere else from our official partners, join our purpose-driven community by visiting www.winject.com. If you're ready to build a career doing what you love, then we're ready to see you there.